Hello and welcome back to The Coaching Bubble. I'm your host Stephen Behan and we're back for Series 2 and we have some great guests lined up to delve into all things coaching. As before, we want the show to be for everyone, all sports, all coaches, from novice to elite, and we hope you can pick up some tips and advice to help you on your own coaching journey. As always, the series is brought to you by the Coach Education Centre of the Camogie Association and you can follow us on Twitter, at Bubble Coaching. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Feel free to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. On this week's show we have Matt Wilkie, Head of Coach Development with the IRFU. I really enjoyed this one. We talk about the process of developing coaches, the importance of the coach-athlete relationship and the how to coach skills versus what you're actually coaching. Matt is a fascinating guy with experience in high performance coaching right down to grassroots coaching. There really is something for everyone in this episode. I hope you enjoy. Hi Matt, uh, thanks a million for coming on. You're very welcome. You're the current head of coach development with the IRFU. Um, so maybe we'll start there and you could maybe describe what the role entails, please. Yeah, excellent. Thanks very much for having me along. So my role, as you mentioned, is head of coach development for Irish Rugby. So I sit within our high performance unit at Irish Rugby and I have responsibility for coach development, education and training across the full spectrum from our professional coaches working with our pro teams in the provinces and the sevens program right through to the strategy and oversight down through our school club community game. You have a rare mix I suppose of dealing with high performance but also with the grassroots and um, maybe we'll jump in there again uh, maybe talk about some of the differences that you find with dealing with uh, or similarities with dealing with uh, maybe elite coaches to the grassroots side of things yeah definitely mate it is it is certainly a challenge it's a very broad spectrum to deal with um, and there are certainly vast differences but then there's quite a few similarities in there as well so I guess most of my hands-on time is spent uh, sort of one-on-one in that professional space so I guess that's a little bit different in a sense that it's a little bit more bespoke, a little bit more individualised. The work I do with those coaches is more one-on-one to meet their individual learning and development needs just due to the, the numbers and the population as you move down into the community and school game. Obviously, with more numbers that come in, it's more and more difficult to be able to work at that one-on-one level with those coaches. We do have a really good workforce uh, through our provinces that work in that capacity with them. I'm not as involved one-on-one at those other levels of the participation side of the game. Um, And although the immediate reaction would be to think that it's very different, I guess if you peel away the environment and what those coaches are working at, at the end of the day, it's, it's still driven by coaching process and the ability of that coach to connect with the players that they're working with to help them achieve what they want to achieve out of their sporting pursuit is still very similar. Um, maybe different strategies to get there but at the essence of it coaching is coaching regardless of of the level you're working at I believe. Okay so you mentioned this bespoke sort of a one-on-one approach could you maybe talk us through the details of how you go about that process maybe start at the elite end in in terms of that side of things? Yeah certainly so it is very individualized and I've been fortunate or really fortunate here with Irish Rugby to be able to work in that space and And what I've found is that the most effective way to help develop coaches in those professional environments is to be working one-on-one with them, not coming with a predetermined program, but looking to see what are their individual needs and then finding a way to be able to facilitate those needs around their individual development. Um, Funnily enough, most of my time spent with those coaches isn't anything to do with rugby specifics. So one of the things I consciously decided when I came into this role working with those high-end coaches was that I wasn't going to be involved in the rugby conversations per se unless they approached me 
And I think in hindsight, that's been really positive for me because it, it brought down some barriers pretty early. Most professional coaches are quite protective about what they do from a strategic point of view. So I was able to remove that straight away and say, I'm virtually here as a resource for you. So if there's elements of your coaching and your coaching process that you want to discuss, evaluate, improve, then look at me as a resource to be able to do that. For most of them, it probably starts with an element of, of self-awareness. So what I try to do there is to capture them in the environments where they regularly operate. So for those professional coaches, that is um, not only on the training field, which is the obvious one, but it's around team meetings, individual meetings, and then game day itself. And probably one of the most effective ways I've been able to do that is, is just through video capture. So we use the radio microphones like the referees would use in rugby, and I capture the coach in action in each of those environments. Send them that footage, give them the opportunity to watch it back before I have any discussion with them around what it is I've seen or what I might have picked up on it. And then we sit down and we sort of unpack that together. That's also been really effective for me because it takes away uh, my opinion per se from that conversation and we then collectively can look at something that's very factual because here's footage of what was captured. It's not my perception of it. This is actually what the players were Trying to make seen. it objective more so. A hundred percent because, you know, that's often the case. People see things through different lenses and sometimes that can be perceived the wrong way. But if there's something there that is very objective that we can both comment on, it just removes that straight away. And do you find once coaches feel there's a camera or a mic on them that they change their behaviour? Uh, I found they're a little bit nervous up front. Some of them are most definitely. We're probably lucky in rugby that we have a culture of video analysis anyway. So those players, or sorry, coaches that were players are used to that sort of scrutiny of being captured and reviewing. But uh, all in all, no one really likes watching themselves and, and hearing their own voice. Um, the first five or ten minutes of a session, potentially their behaviour might be a little bit different but you'd be surprised how quickly they revert to normal practice and actually forget it's on. Okay, so I'm a coach that you're reviewing. Um, we're after doing the video uh, for training sessions, team meetings, such and such. You send me that video back. What happens next? Excellent. So I find a time for you to watch it, ask you to make a few notes. I don't guide you too much in that because I'm really interested to see what you've taken away from that observation of the video. Uh, I actually learn just as much around what you're not looking at and what you don't comment on around what you actually do. Because straight away for me as a coach developer, that shows blind spots around your coaching practice and your coaching process that you're not aware of, which is an immediate area that I can jump into. Um, but we would then catch up and go through each of those situations and just have a really informal conversation around what did you notice about yourself? What worked? What didn't? Why did you do that? What you were trying to achieve? How are you evaluating the success of this? Would you do it differently? Is it what you thought you were trying to achieve? I try to lead that a lot with a lot of different questions. And then to accompany that, I would have done my own quite detailed uh, report, I suppose, of those videos as well. Sometimes that might be to the extent of uh, coding it through our data analysis system, and that might be uh, what is a common method at a lot of levels, just coding around frequency of feedback, type of feedback, questions, all of those sorts of things or it might just be cutting clips that I feel are really significant, either in terms of interesting behaviour or interesting practice or elements that I just believe might be a, a blind spot for the coach. Were you aware you were doing this? Um, and also that captures the player's behaviour as well. Because rugby is very much uh, analysed, we have lots of angles around training footage, 
So I'll sync my footage up to the actual training footage so they can actually watch on a split screen a close shot of themselves so they can review their language, their body language at the same time of the actual training activity taking place. And quite often the feedback I get when I start to question the coaches is on the behaviour or the, the body language or the interaction from the playing group at that point of time in response to what the coach said or did not necessarily just the coach in isolation. Okay, so you mentioned blind spots a couple of times. Is it that what most commonly comes up? They're, they're not aware of, let's say, what their behaviour, the impact that that's having on the players? Yeah, correct. And I guess if I had to try to summarise the biggest area I most frequently come back to, it comes back to that element of uh, what did the player learn? Whether it's the team meeting, whether it's the training session, whether it's half-time in the game, whether it's in the warm-up, keep coming back to that that question I always raise well what did the players take away from this because I think the coaches in that professional space are under such pressure that they focus a lot on what they do in terms of what they deliver without maybe considering enough other players actually taking this on board and are they learning so if we looked at a team meeting as an example of that and coaches will spend a lot of time uh, post game reviewing the game cutting the clips putting that into a presentation using that to build their preview, their review information, go into the team meeting, deliver their clips, deliver their message, and that's job done. And what I'm trying to do is just change the perception of that a little bit to go, understand that you've done all that, and that's very important, but leaving that room at the end of 20, 30 minutes, what are the players actually taking away? Because that's how we need to be evaluating the effectiveness of that team meeting. So if we flip it to be what are the players learning as opposed to what are you doing, then it puts a completely different lens on how they approach what they do. And that is an example of one of those blind spots. Yeah, so you're going for more like an education or a pedagogical approach in terms of having le learning outcomes as one of your immeasurable uh, behaviours. Exactly right. And because one of the most common ways that a coach would evaluate the effectiveness of their team meeting, and, and I've been guilty of this and still am at time, is quite simply, did I show everything I wanted to show in the time that I had to do it? Because they're under such pressure to get from that meeting to the training session, to the media commitment, to everything else. It's very structured and scheduled. They don't often have the time to reflect on it properly and actually think about the impact and the key objective of what they were trying to achieve. Even as what might be a very simple question on, so what was the key objective of this meeting and how do you know if you achieved it? For some coaches can be quite challenging because they're copying practices that they uh, used to experience as a player or they just haven't thought about it through a different lens. And if I revert back to, a, to an earlier comment there, that's where I think I can add a little bit of value to our coaches. So uh, I'm a trained PE teacher, I've done masters and working on a PhD that's all around education and learning. So I can bring that aspect to the table because most of our coaches are very knowledgeable in terms of the rugby specifics. They certainly don't need me to be involved in conversations about restart formations and things like that. Where maybe they don't have readily accessible information, resource, knowledge is around pedagogy, learning, development, those sort of pieces. Yeah, I imagine it particularly in the professional setting that in a tournament environment when you need a quick turnaround that those, those sort of softer skills become hugely important. 100% they do. And it's often an area that it, you know, it's the hardest to develop as well. And even in a sense, if you, you look at coaches and you work with them to create their own learning and development plans, which is a part of the process with me or their CPD, the comfortable natural place for a lot of our coaches to go to is to more content knowledge around their sport, which is focusing on the what. 
So I try to challenge as much as possible and just slide that down the scale to be looking more at more of the how of the coaching, which, as you mentioned, includes everything around those soft skills, the connections, the communications, the learning aspect of it. Okay, we'll come back to those soft skills in a minute. Take me as the example again. So we've identified my blind spots and I have a few by the looks of things. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you then help me? So obviously I have to be aware of them first, but then how do you help me develop these skills? Can you talk us through maybe an example or something like that? Yeah, certainly. So we've come in, had a really good conversation. We've captured some things on video. We've sat down and unpacked the video together. Along with that, then I give you what are my observations from being uh, live in that environment and also reviewing the video. So as I mentioned, that might be a few stats. And what I like to do in that, and it's just a personal thing for me, I'm not necessarily convinced it's right or wrong, is I give a lot of a lot of questions and considerations. I'm very, very reluctant to go down the path of saying this is this is good and this is bad, because the other thing I've learned is that it's so context specific. So that effective coaching practice is so specific to that coach and that team and that environment at that moment. There's no one magic way to coach that I'm trying to bring everybody towards. What I'm trying to bring them towards is doing the most effective thing they can the right way more often than not and so the reason for me providing a lot more questions and considerations is to help the coach uh, almost a guided discovery method so they can unpack that themselves because I might see something that for me may be a bit of a red flag but on deeper conversation with them there's actually a very good reason for them doing that based on individuals or previous work or something like that so you have that report getting back to your question there sorry we've gone through that together and then I ask them just to, to sit on that for a little while, have a read through it. What elements of that a- appeal to you in terms of areas you would want to either explore further or you want to develop? And then off the back of that, that's where we get really bespoke and really individualised. So depending on how coaches like to learn, uh, how passionate they are about wanting to get better, the time they have available, we might do a variety of different things through there. So let's say if the if the category was just around leadership, for example, they felt they wanted to develop their leadership. We now have the content area that we want to have a look at. How are we going to achieve that might be very, very different. Uh, if people like to read, then I take the responsibility of going away and looking at related academic journals, recent books, publications, and those sorts of things. If it's more around podcasts or audio books, I do the same thing. Maybe it's video material online. Maybe they want to pursue more formal um, education or, or awards. So I might then on their behalf start to talk to universities or other institutions around short courses that they could do. So it's really bespoke when we get to that part, but I guess the common part is I try to, to the best of my ability, develop an achievable learning and development plan. Okay, yeah, it sounds, it's really interesting, the, the bespoke bit, especially for coaches who are working with, let's say, a team of 20 to 30 athletes or whatever it may be, because they may have to adopt different approaches with different individuals, as you mentioned. Do you find much resistance from the coaches when you come back to them? I, I know you're going with a question approach rather than telling them they're doing it the right way or the wrong way. But do you find much resistance come back? Or I'll be honest, it, it, it's, it's varied. And it varies between individual and individual, between context and context. The, the beauty of it for me is that I am not uh, KPI-driven or have set objectives around having to work with X amount of coaches per year in a certain way. So the way I talk to, to the coaches in the system is how I view myself as, as being a resource. And I'll be a resource that is used by anyone who wants to undertake it. So I find there's some coaches that I have uh, a really deep 
constant communication and working relationship with. There's a large group in the middle and then there's some that I do a little bit and, and they're happy with that. Either they don't feel they need it or I wasn't adding the value that they needed or they don't have the time, whatever that is. So I'm fortunate that I don't have to bring people kicking and screaming along. So those that maybe are resistant for what could be very good reasons, you know, I don't have to continue to work with. Okay, that's a nice position to be in. It is, right, it yeah. is. Um, I want to bring you back. You mentioned our soft skills and the different things in terms of how to coach. Mm-hmm. Give me two or three of the big ones that you feel that a lot of coaches are, are lacking in maybe from the, from the get-go and ones that you really like to focus on. Yeah, so I think the, the common ones that would come up, um, not necessarily a soft skill, is that personal connection piece. And, and that's nothing new and that's something that's applicable right through the spectrum of coaching, not just at that top level, but you know, coaching the person how to play rugby, not coaching rugby to the person. So the ability of our coaches to probably find the time primarily to connect with their players at a deeper level than just being a rugby player is really beneficial for them. And so one avenue... Uh, of many that I've sort of tapped into that would be around emotional intelligence. So I've gone away myself and done some upskilling and training around EI and the delivery of some some short courses and some 360 evaluation. So some coaches who we would have a conversation and they feel that they want to be able to connect better, going through that emotional intelligence survey and some education would be one example of how we might work with them to be better able to connect and work with their athletes. For those listening who aren't exactly up to speed, emotional intelligence, do you want to give a brief description? Uh, I'll do my best. Yeah, <laughs> I'm one of those, by the way. <laughs> so essentially, when we talk about emotional intelligence, it's your self-awareness around your own emotions and then how you control and manage your emotions, your awareness of the emotions in others and how you can work with and influence and be aware of their emotions. So you'll commonly see it sort of displayed in a quadrant where it has, you know, Uh, self-awareness awareness of others and then management and influence for want of a better word Uh, there'll be plenty more experts out there who will pick that apart because that's probably not 100 percent correct but but in in a nutshell that's essentially what it's about and a lot of research coming out now or not even now but recently indicating the importance of emotional intelligence uh, in successful business roles and any leadership roles uh, even more so uh, of value than IQ or just general intelligence and obviously that relationship that the coach has with the athletes is is vitally important one for getting that message across and two for the players feeling that sense of belonging and stuff yeah exactly right and then that coach's ability then to also ensure connections within the team are quite strong so you've got the coach as part of the staff and the coaching group so how cohesive is that as a group you have the coach and their relationship with a player but then also the playing group and then their ability to be aware of and positively influence the connection within the group as well. So there's a number of different areas through there that become really important. And then would that feed into the communication styles that coaches would take up? Yeah, most definitely. So communication would be a big part that would come through regularly in all of those observations. So whether it's the communication in terms of language and delivery in that team meeting, if it's around uh, introduction, questioning, feedback, Um, praise whatever it might be in the training session itself and then half time is one that continually fascinates me the ability to to observe behavior and language at half time and evaluate the impact that that has on second half um, outcomes 
So Okay, talk me through that. Are you sitting in the corner of a dressing room at half time taking notes <laughs> or uh, is it back to the videos again? Uh, half and half, Okay, to be honest. So depending on the, on the situation and the team and, and what they're comfortable with, sometimes it is candid camera uh, in the top corner like you would see on a, on a television coverage. Um, other times I'd, I'd sneak in early and take a seat and would just make my own notes through that. Um, I just found, and I can only really comment around rugby here, but I have a feeling it's the same in other sports. Very rarely do we as coach educators or coach developers look at match day as terms of behaviours, influences and everything like that. Yet if I look at our space, everything we do uh, six days a week is leading up to performance on game day and we do very little with our coaches around how are they influencing performance through their own actions, behaviours and language uh, pre-game, in-game as well, which is interesting in halftime. Okay, can you give us some insights and in what you've even preliminary things of what you think might be happening in terms of halftime? Because from an outsider looking in, the perception is that the rugby dressing room will be a very calm space at halftime in terms of review and uh, refuel and stuff like that. So is there any insights that you can share with us? Yeah, certainly. And I think you know, the majority of the time, uh, halftime is done, is done quite well. But even just your ability to evaluate halftime can be really, really challenging. So even that as a question itself, I find is interesting that I ask coaches. So how did you come up with your halftime routine and how are you evaluating if it's working? At what point do you look to change it? Uh, do you maintain it? Or is it just a habit you get into and you continue to do? Um, the common uh, mistake that would occur at halftime is one that comes from a really good place, but it would be overloading of information to players because that coach has got 40 minutes of observation that they want to then unpack and provide to their players, what can happen is the players get a lot of information and they're fatigued, they're tired, they're hurting. Their ability to take on that information really has to be questioned. And even when we work with coaches to be able to limit the amount of information they provide to, to say three key points, which is that sort of golden number, um, which is even questionable itself. In a rugby circumstance then if you have a you know, a forwards coach, a backs coach, a heads coach and a skills coach each deliver two, three pieces of information, you're very, very quickly up to 12. So the sequencing of that information, so who's speaking when in terms of what information is most important because, you know, research will suggest most people remember the first thing that's said and the last thing and then people dip in and out all the way in between. So are we thinking about who's speaking first and last to have the most impact? Um, is information more valuable coming from a coach or is a coach better off facilitating discussion between peers because that peer information is more valuable? Um, how much information are we actually getting from the, the people that were playing the game or are we just giving feedback on the lens that we have which is on the sideline or up through a stand? So quite often it would be the quantity of the information, probably a little bit too much, uh, and coaches' ability to remain objective coming into halftime. So quite often it's difficult to leave the emotion of the first half at the door and speak very objectively. Uh, and we tend to remember and recall the negative things uh, that have happened most recently. And another big part that I would talk to our coaches around is if particularly focusing on, on youth males, emphasis on good things that were done well is far more positive in reinforcing behaviour than talking about errors that occurred. So rather than calling out or making a point of, of missed tackles or uh, defensive formations that were incorrect or drop ball, can the coach turn the message around to focus on times when it was done well and emphasise the need to keep doing that? 
So that positive messaging is far more likely to get a positive result than focusing on all the things that went wrong. And players aren't silly. They come into a shed at halftime. You know, the winger knows he missed a tackle that led to a try. Probably doesn't need that to be reinforced to the rest of the group. So just having coaches with their ability to come into halftime to be emotionally impartial, objective, um, looking to talk around positive elements of the game rather than deferring to error correction, which is a natural place for coaches to go to, and really limiting what they're saying to what's going to have the biggest impact uh, would be the three areas that most commonly come up. It must be extremely difficult to measure that, though, in terms of the effectiveness, because you're dealing with a very, very small window of time, a lot of potential messages and communication, and then how do you measure that outcome afterwards? It, it must be really difficult. It is, and that's the biggest challenge around it. So once again, that's why it's hard to say that there is a, a right and a wrong, because the context in the match can be very, very important as well. Um, but what I can do is just raise the self-awareness for coaches. So through that observation process and the information I feed back, that coach who maybe thought he only said two things but actually realises he said eight or nine has now got the awareness that his behaviour isn't exactly what he felt it was going to be. Uh, that coach who felt he was very cool and calm in his delivery, actually maybe he wasn't. So what we can do is turn the, turn the mirror there and raise the self-awareness so that there's just continual elements that the coaches can keep looking at and keep working on. And once they become aware, they can work on it, yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly right. Okay, so the, so the days of, of uh, banging tables and, uh, <laughs> and throwing boots around the places are gone. Um, I just want to bring it back because we've talked a lot about high performance yes. and all the different how you bring the soft skills or the, the, the other side of it into and the how to coach skills into the, the high performance guys. And I know you say you don't, you can't use the same techniques with the you know, grassroots coaches, but maybe you could enlighten us on some of the things that you try and get across in that, on that side as well. Yeah, certainly. We've probably done a lot of work, or we certainly have in the last 18 months, on reshaping a lot of our, our coaching framework and what we do do in that participation space. And, and my observation would have been coming into the role and through the feedback I got from our staff is that it was very focused on what to coach. So a lot of our formal education and training was around uh, skills, drills, games, this is rugby, this is what you need to do. And we probably were letting ourselves down by not focusing on the how to coach aspect of it. So we've done a lot of work of, of reshaping our courses to put the player very much in the middle of what we're talking about. And then everything we do around that is focusing on what that individual player needs or what they're bringing to that team or that environment. So for example, if we were running a, a youth rugby course now, we'd actually start the course by talking about, well, what is a what is a youth rugby player and a youth person? What are the things they're likely to bring? What are their capabilities? What are you going to encounter with them? Uh, and what does youth rugby actually look like? And then as a coach, how can you best meet the needs of that youth rugby player as a person? How can you best meet the demands of the youth rugby game and facilitate all that in a way that, that's collectively meeting the needs of your team? So that element of connection and putting the player in the middle of everything we do is still very consistent with what we spoke about. There's a large emphasis there around language, around motivation, around leadership, around soft skills. A lot of those things are as important as they are at that, that top level. The only bit we're probably missing is that really deep dive on that one-on-one -on -one that just from a from a numbers point of view we can't engage in. You mentioned now, you've mentioned language, I think three times in the, in the, in the conversation and I meant to bring it up earlier. When you talk about language, what exactly are you saying? What are you, are you saying the language we use in communicating with the players or being more aware of how we're delivering the message? All of the above. 
Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So in itself is obviously a very big category. So um, in terms of, of what we say and when we say it and, and, and how we say it, um, it could be quite simply for a lot of our coaches at that participation level, just saying less and allowing the players to, to do more. Um, it will always stick with me. I was involved in a study when I was back in Australia that, that looked at junior rugby coaching at around that under 10 level. And there was a 60-minute training session. And on average, what we found, the coach was, was talking for around 35 to 40 minutes of that session. Um, that really stuck with me that you know, we needed to do more to make sure that coaches were keeping their players as active as they could be as possible because it's through that activity that the development happens, that the fun, the enjoyment happens. And once again, it was just around self-awareness. Coaches weren't aware. They, they felt because they were a coach, they needed to be giving more information and talking more. So another shift in a lot of our education is looking at the role of a coach and how, how learning for players occur. It doesn't have to be driven verbally by the coach. It can be through effective planning and, and the constraints that are put around activities and games and allowing players to learn through those, which takes the responsibility away from the coach having to talk. But it is everything from instruction uh, and then feedback, how you deliver it, uh, the frequency of that. And then even just generally your ability to communicate and talk to someone in a one-on-one or a team environment. So, so again, back to that connection with the, between the coach and the player. It is essentially, that's yeah. right. And the coach's ability to, to meet the needs of the player and, and fulfil their, their motivation. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good uh, sort of tip that any coach listening could take away at any level. Uh, what to say, how to say it and when to say it. And even coaches just being aware of that, whether without having the cameras and the mics and stuff like that, I think that that could start a process there that the, in terms of how they're actually communicating with their players that could be powerful. Most definitely. You know, and for anyone who's interested, and I know a few of our coaches that do this now, the technology we have with, with iPhones and everything, I find myself when I'm coaching sessions now, I'll just put the, the recorder on my iPhone, keep them in my pocket, and then on my drive home, I've got a recollection of everything I said throughout the training session. So it can be done independently. It can be done quite easily. And I continually am still surprised by some of the things that I say and how I say it. So I think it's a continual learning curve and continual improvement can be found around language. Yeah, um, I think the continual learning curve is, is big because all the top coaches seem to have this continual desire to keep learning. Yeah, exactly right. Any research you dive into around the qualities of a high-performance coach or high-performing coaches, so coaches who are performing at a high level, at any stage of the game, have a have a desire to continually learn and get better. That that's proven time and time again. So you're 100 percent correct. Okay, so you're kept busy at the top end. Try to be. Okay. Try to be. Um, I read an article doing the research for this before we started, and you talked about building horizontal expertise at grassroots level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I really liked the idea, but maybe you could explain it to the listeners and sort of how that came about. Yeah, definitely. So once again, if we go back to some of the changes that we've made at Irish Rugby, and this is a contribution of a lot of work from a lot of people, so I'm not taking sole credit for any of this, but there is this perception or had been that good coaches should always be progressing up the ladder. And I think that's something that's been common across a lot of sports for a long time. So if you're a, if you're a really good under-10s coach, then you should progress to the 12s, and then you should take that team through their teenage years. And then then from there, you should look for a senior opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that undervalues the importance of coaches at all levels of the game. For any sport to be the strongest it can be from a development and a participation point of view, the sport needs expertise at all levels. 
but we then as a national governing body have to provide the education and training to produce that horizontal expertise. And so what I mean by that would be, say you are that coach at that under 10 level, um, as well as doing the formal education and training that might be a coaching children's course, for example, what other opportunities can you engage with that will allow you to be the best under 10s coach you can be? Because you don't need to be, or we shouldn't be sending any sort of image that you are needing to progress up the ladder to be deemed to be a better coach. You should be able to be an expert at that under 10 level. And so that's what that term horizontal development is really talking about. Rather than this idea of vertical development, that to get better you keep moving up, we're trying to make a point that we want expert coaches at all level. And that under 10 coach is just as vital to Irish rugby as the 15s, as the AAL coach and everyone in between. We have a responsibility to provide those educational opportunities so that coach can keep getting better at whatever level they choose to. No, well, it makes sense. Like if if you have someone who's you you're, you've trained up really well to a standard, the coach at that age group or that level, uh, if they move on, then you start to have to start the process again, and all of a sudden the, the that coach has to be brought up to a different level. Whereas now you're trying to keep the expertise where it's most needed. Yeah, that's right. And just enabling those people with a passion for that age group or for that expertise to keep building their, their knowledge and their skill set as well. Now, it's not to say that we don't want coaches progressing because the reality is a lot of coaches are parents. They give up their time so they can be there with their son or daughter. We're not suggesting we don't want that to happen. But as they progress through their journey, can we just be developing them for the skills they need with that age group? Because there is a big gap for a lot of people in terms of what children's sport looks like what youth looks like compared to the adult version and because a lot of our coaches don't know any better they apply a lot of adult principles onto children and youth coaching which doesn't fit and then the result is either uh, the development of those individuals isn't as good as we want it to be but more importantly the enjoyment's not there and so they drop out of the sport and go somewhere else or in some circumstances stop playing sport altogether yeah and that's really important i think the parents point is really really crucial because I think a lot of grassroots coaches in sports in Ireland and in, in, definitely in Ireland they just move up with their children and they're, they're, as they're volunteering and if we don't have the frameworks there to support them how do we expect them to get better yeah exactly right yeah um, listen you've been brilliant with your time Matt uh, we have three questions that we ask everyone who comes on so I'm going to put you on the spot now um, so the first one is uh, what does the term successful coach mean to you uh, I would say in line with what we've just been discussing, a successful coach uh, connects with their players or their athletes and assists them meet what they want to achieve out of their sporting pursuit. So a good coach connects with their players and helps their players get what they want out of their sporting experience. Okay, so putting it back towards that relationship and, and the, the player first sort of... Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, within our rugby context, that could be simultaneously trying to achieve a number of different things with a number of different athletes within the one team. So if you look at that, that youth bracket, for example, there'll be players there that are playing because they want to be part of a team, they want to enjoy it. There'll be players there who uh, may want to get physical gains out of their participation in sport, and there'll be aspirational players that want to represent at their, at their province in a national level. If that coach can be meeting the individual needs of each of those players within that team context, then from my point of view, they're, they're being successful. Tough job, though. Very tough, very tough. Um, but just because it's hard, that's not an excuse to not try to achieve it. Good point, yeah. Um, okay, the best book, resources, podcasts, journals, you mentioned journal articles earlier, what would you recommend to aspiring coaches? Uh, first of all, pursue something that you're interested in. 
because I think a lot of people look for resources in areas that uh, they're not necessarily interested in per se. So they're sort of failing before they start there. What do you mean there? Sorry. Um, well, if you have an if you have an interest in in skill acquisition, then pursue that. If it is around leadership, pursue that. If it's the psychological side, pursue that. Um, don't just feel that you have to read up on an area because someone else is, or you think that's something that a coach at your level does do. Um, so I think there's an important part of making sure it aligns with what you're interested in. Um, for me, most of the uh, recommended books are probably not directly related to coaching. So if I look at the ones, and I can only comment on what's influenced me, um, Carol Dweck's book on mindset really changed the way I spoke a lot. That coincided at the time I became a father as well. So that shifted a lot of my language and, and what I say and how I go about it. Um, Angela Duckworth and her book Grit is a great one around resilience because that's an area I think that continually comes up in conversations. Uh, I'm personally really interested in motivation um, and self-determination theory and there's a book uh, by Edward Deachy, Why We Do What We Do, which is another good one. Um, and the list could go on, I suppose. But I also do buy a lot of books that I don't get around to reading, which is something I need to get better <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, I'm very similar to you in that <laughs> sense. Uh, um, don't worry, we list all these up on the Twitter page for anyone, oh, people super. who are listening and trying to uh, rewind frantically to hear what you said. Um, last question. And I know you would have covered a lot of this, but maybe it's a good way to sum up the whole discussion. Your top tips for a developing coach. Um, it's a great question. And once again, I'm reluctant to say anything that's, that's too general because everybody is unique and an in individual. But I think for a developing coach, if they, if they keep putting the player at the center of everything they do and think about their actions, behaviors, in relation to how that impacts the player, it's a very good place to start. And then also not being afraid to try things and, and, and learn from your coaching process. Um, Self-reflection is, is massive. So is there a way that you can develop some sort of um, self-reflection process around your coaching as well, which ties into that idea around continual improvement? But if everything you do, you filter through the lens of what does this mean for the player, if you're willing to continually reflect on what you do and try new things, I think it's a pretty good start for any coach at any level. And I think that is a fantastic message to uh, finish up on. Matt, you've been phenomenally good with your time. I know it's a very busy time for you. I think people listening can get a huge amount out of today. Um, I've learned a lot. Uh, I love the way that you talk about the use of question. We hear people talk about it, uh, using it with the players, but using it with the actual coaches as well, I think is really important how to coach rather than what to coach is a key message for me and uh, everything is specific to the context of the situation uh, the relation the relationship building and coaching the person the halftime stuff i'm fascinated <laughs> with i'm not going to look into that research <laughs> myself and i think if not if anyone takes nothing else from the conversation today except for to be aware of what you're saying how you're saying it and when you're saying it i think that's a huge huge takeaway for any coach at any level in any sport so Matt, thanks very much for coming in my pleasure thank you Thanks for listening to The Coaching Bubble and I hope you learned something to help you with your own coaching. Please follow us on Twitter at Bubble Coaching where we will put any books or resources mentioned on the show up on the page. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud and feel free to get in touch with any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. As always, the show is produced by Niall Williams and the Coach Education Centre of the Camogie Association. Thanks for listening.